Stand together, please, as we reverence the reading God's Word. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 2, a message I call simply the Song of Simeon. Luke chapter 2, verse 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Some things don't come through in English probably as well as they should. Were we looking at this in Hebrew, we would recognize the poetic nature of the verses as Simeon burst forth in song. Maybe some of you grew up like I did, not because I was a particular fan, although became one uh, of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals. You remember some of those? Oh, my mom and dad loved them. We saw them all over and over. I saw them enough that I began to think that just going through life and bursting out into song was just a normal thing to do. <laughs> you know, I, uh. And that's exactly what was happening here with Simeon. Simeon just burst forth into a song of praise. And he expressed then the joy, the exuberant joy that he had in seeing the one that he called salvation. Salvation. Uh, Dr. Luke was characteristically detailed in the telling of the story. Look back in verse 21. When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child... His name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Luke then describing a couple of big events that happened. Uh, tells us, first of all, that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. That is according uh, to the prescribed law of Moses. Uh, every male child was to be circumcised on the eighth day. That threw back to the covenant that God had made with Abraham. It was passed down to Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way now down to Jesus. He was circumcised on the eighth day. His circumcision did not require a trip to the temple necessarily. That could have been accomplished anywhere. Uh, but the second event that's mentioned in the text did require a trip to the temple, and that was Mary's purification. Forty days after a male child was born, uh, a woman was required to present herself in the temple for a ritualistic time of purification, cleansing. Uh, interestingly, in the case of a girl baby, if she gave birth to a girl, it was 60 days. Uh, but in the case of a boy child, it was 40 days after he was born. We want to read about that. The whole chapter, Leviticus chapter 12, uh, gives you all the detailed information about that. Uh, the law required that a lamb would be offered. But the Bible tells us that they gave a dove or pigeons. 
And that also was prescribed in the law. That tells us about the extreme poverty of Joseph and Mary. You see, a lamb was prescribed by the law, and a lamb was by no means considered to be a lavish or extravagant gift that would be only available to wealthy people. But the law did make a provision in case people were so poor that for some reason they could not even afford a lamb. Two pigeons, two doves. Mary and Joseph were poor, very, very poor. Now Luke tells us that they returned to Nazareth after they had fulfilled all things according to the law. So after this 40-day period that they would have spent in Bethlehem, they returned to Nazareth at least for a while. If you read Matthew's account, you'll find that Herod was still hunting the baby, and so they were warned to flee into Egypt, and they left then and spent some time in Egypt until Herod died. But we know that at least for this 40 days, they were there in Bethlehem, the Magi, the kings, visited them in Bethlehem. So that would have occurred sometime during that 40-day period. The events then of our text this morning are not technically a part of the Christmas story, you understand. Uh, but Luke has interwoven them gloriously so into the telling of these marvelous events. God, by pointing out through Luke uh, how careful that Joseph and Moses were to fulfill all the requirements of the law, was telling us that God had seen to it that baby Jesus was born to a God-fearing family who loved God, loved God's Word, and who were dedicated to living for Him. They might have been poor. That was not a problem. God was concerned that they were devout. They were faithful. They were dedicated to Him and to His law. And they were. Everything that God told them to do, they did. Everything the law required of them, they did. They were godly people. Paul would write of this in Galatians chapter 4 when he said, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, see, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So that's what's going on in the story here in Luke chapter 2. And it's at that point then that Simeon appears out of nowhere. We never heard of him before in Scripture. We'll never hear of him again. He just, boom, appears on the scene. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem, verse 25, whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God. Simeon. We're given a lot more information about Simeon than we were about the shepherds. We are, after all, at least given his name, Simeon. 
We know what he was doing. He was in the temple. He was there because the Holy Spirit sent him there. God had given him a revelation that he was going to see the Lord's Christ. So he was there. He was a just man, a devout man, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Ghost was upon him. Most people assume, and I do too, that Simeon was quite old by this time. Some of the language that he uses would indicate that. Many have assumed he was a priest. But the only reason we have for, to assume that was because he took the child from Mary and Joseph and they let him. <laughs> I mean, it seemed like he would have some kind of an official then standing. But, uh, of course, to be a priest and to be old are two things that don't go together. They only served until they were 50 years old. So if he was very old, maybe he was just well-known. Simeon. Simeon. But here this just and devout man saw the Messiah. You know, Luke tells us that the shepherds went about telling everything that happened to them on that night. Uh, if it was in modern times, they would have made it Facebook official. I guarantee you it would have been on everything. But the Bible just tells us they were telling everybody. Uh, who could blame them? Guarantee you, if I'm out in the countryside at night sometime and God sends an angelic choir to light that place up, I'm going to tell a few folks. I promise you it will. The shepherds were telling it. So maybe Simeon had heard. We don't know. Maybe this was just his custom. I mean, after all, he knew that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. He knew that 40 days after that baby was born, that his parents would have to come to the temple. There he sits, day after day, waiting, watching. Is this the one? No. Ah, oh, here comes a couple. Mary and Joseph would not have presented an impressive scene. To look at them, you would have seen immediately. They were from the country. They were country folks. They're not from around here. Not city folks. Certainly not wealthy folks. Not extravagant folks. Nothing about these folks would catch your mind. Except that child. And there in the child, Simeon got the long-awaited answer. That's him. That's him. This is the one. As he takes then that precious child in his arms and burst out into song, he makes this incredible announcement. Lord, verse 29, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Notice that word, depart. Uh, that word would be better translated dismissed. It usually had a military connotation, although since he used the term servant, it also applied to servants. <laughs> Anybody's ever served in the military? I haven't, but you've probably heard that command from time to time. Dismissed. What's it mean? It means you're loose. You've finished your service. Your time is done. Whatever it is that you were there for has been accomplished. You are dismissed. You're free to go. And that's exactly what Simeon said. Simeon had been on watch, on watch appointed by the Holy Spirit of God. He'd been on duty. Now it's time is done. My watch is over. 
My time of service has been accomplished. I have done what I was sent here to do. I see the one according to your word. I see him. When he sang then, he gave us some crucial, vital, wonderful information about this one who was born to be king. Verse 30, he says, Mine eyes have seen your salvation. Your salvation. Let's remember this morning that the Bible does not present two forms of salvation, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. That is, God's grace provides it. Man's faith, we believe it, we receive it. In the Old Testament, people were saved by believing on the coming one, the Messiah, the one who was to come. If you look up salvation in a Bible program, you'll find that word all over the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. Psalm 53 and 6. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. The song that Simeon sang bears remarkable similarity to Psalm 70, or 98 verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All of the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Simeon is now looking upon with his eyes the one that he had believed on for salvation long before. In a way, Simeon's story is our story. We believe on one we've never seen, not with these eyes. We believe. We believe the message. We believe the truth. We believe the word of the apostles when they said that he is presented unto us with many infallible proofs. Not one or two, many, many infallible proofs. We remember the words of Jesus in response to Thomas. Thomas, who had said, you know, I won't believe until I see the nail prints in your hand. If Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's us. We haven't seen. But we have believed. But there was Simeon. He had believed. Now he sees the one he had believed on. Folk, that's going to be our experience as well. One day we'll see him, every one of us. We'll see him face to face. Our eyes will see him. We'll see the one who took the nails for us. We'll see the one who suffered and bled and died on that cruel cross of Calvary for your sake and for mine. We'll see the one who is our Savior. It's no wonder that Simeon then called him salvation. Mine eyes, Lord, have seen your salvation. Jesus is salvation. The big question is, is he salvation to you? Is he salvation? He is salvation. Is he salvation to you? To you. See, it's only when we receive him as our Savior... When we believe on Him, we trust Him 
to deliver us from our sins. We see ourselves as sinners. We ask him to forgive us. We trust him. We believe on him. It is then that we are saved and he is our salvation. It's not enough just to know Jesus exists or it's not even enough to know that he was born as a baby in Bethlehem. Somebody might ask you, are you a Christian? Well, of course I'm a Christian. I got presents under the Christmas tree. Of course, of course. We celebrate Christmas. John, the beloved apostle, put it best. A passage I quote many, many times. He came unto his own, he said, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you believed on him? Have you understood your sinfulness in the eyes of a holy God? Have you understood that when Jesus died on the cross, his death had your name on it? He died for you. Have you received him? Never be a better time than this morning for you to receive Jesus as your Savior. That's why the second part of Simeon's message is so precious to us. He is salvation for all people. He is salvation. He is salvation then for all people. Look at verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. See, the Holy Spirit is careful then to point out through Simeon that God's great plan of redemption was for all peoples. That meant the Gentiles too. Now, when God divided humanity in a biblical fashion, you, we want to talk about all the different ethnicities, but really, biblically speaking, there's only two. Uh, there's the Jews, and then there's everybody else. The Jews, God's chosen people. And then the Gentiles, the Greeks sometimes they're called. Everybody who's not Jewish. Jesus did not only come for salvation to the Jews. He came to them, yes. But he also came to bring salvation to the Gentiles. The Magi were proof that there were Gentiles who were looking for Jesus to be born. Luke himself writing this story. The beloved physician, Luke, was a Gentile. He could give testimony. I'm one. Jesus had saved me. Paul would describe this salvation in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Aren't you glad that's in the Bible? For everyone. For everyone. Who believes to the Jew first yes and also for the Greek then Simeon points out that this salvation Jesus is salvation this salvation is for everybody but he also points out that his salvation causes a separation to occur verse 33 Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts 
may be revealed. After Simeon finished his song, he added a blessing on this precious family along with these telling words prophecy. He said people will fall and rise all over Israel over Jesus. People would live and die over Jesus. That was the truth. It remains true today. People will speak against Jesus. Wouldn't be long they'd be speaking against Mary, Joseph, bringing up horrible things and saying terrible things about them and making horrible accusations against them. People will fall and rise over Jesus. People would live and die because of Jesus. People would speak against Jesus. People would reveal their hearts then by what they think of Jesus. Jesus is the great dividing line of humanity. We tend to see humanity in America separated by political party and ideology these days. Are you conservative or liberal? Humanity separated by language, by parentage, by social standing, by education, by worldview. And the list goes on and on and on. But strip all of that away. Don't buy into the secondary things because in the end, humanity, listen, is divided by the cross of Jesus Christ. Humanity is divided between those who have believed on Jesus Christ and those who reject him. That's a whole lot to say, Simeon, for that baby you were holding in your arms so long ago. You know, baby Jesus didn't stay baby Jesus. He grew up. He performed those signs and wonders. Those signs proved that he was no ordinary man. He would face rejection. He'd be tortured. He would die on a cross. Not just suffering death, but suffering even, Paul said, the death of the cross. Tortured, beaten, crucified, dead, buried. Humanity had done their worst. Oh, what Simeon said to Mary long ago was true. Yes, a sword would pierce your heart as well. But you know what? After man had done its very worst, Jesus Christ came out of the grave and establishing his glorious and eternal victory. I love the fact that the Bible not only repeatedly refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God, but one of his earliest titles was the Lion of Judah. Genesis chapter 49 and verse 9, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And it's a lion. Who shall rouse him? The lion of Judah. Have to go all the way from Genesis, from Revelation, to hear the end of that story of Revelation 5 and 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. It was the great preacher, Dr. Henry Morehouse, who was credited with telling a story of a group of men who were betting on a dog 
outside of uh, the world's oldest zoo in London, England. This was a rat terrier. Of all things, they were betting on how many rats the dog could kill. He didn't kill enough. The owner lost the bet. And in frustration and anger, he picked the dog up and just threw it over the fence into the cage of the ferocious lions in the zoo. He expected, of course, the dog to be immediately torn to shreds by the lion. Instead, the lion saw it, walked over, laid down, put his big old paws right there on the little dog, and began to lick him as if almost to comfort him from his wounds. The zookeeper heard the commotion and came and asked, he said, who threw this dog into the cage? And the owner, rather sheepishly, said, well, it was me. I was angry. I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. I'd like to have my dog back. The zookeeper turned away as if he didn't hear him. So he said again, I'd... I'd, I'd like you to get my dog back. The zookeeper ignored him. So now demandingly, that's my dog and I want my dog back. Get in there and get my dog. Dr. Morehouse said the zookeeper stopped, turned around and said, I'll open the gate if you want the dog to get in there and get it yourself. Hmm. Our salvation is provided by the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But our salvation is sealed and secured by the Lion of Judah. Sin, the world, Satan, would love to get us back. But like the sleeping lion that nobody rouses, who? Who would face the Lion of Judah? No wonder Simon Peter says we are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 puts it this way. God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of His counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Strong consolation. This hope we have is an anchor, an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Why? Because our salvation is provided by the Lamb of God. It is secured by the Lion of Judah who has prevailed. So while Simeon so long ago could look to Mary and Joseph and say, Oh, there's, there's a sword going to pierce your heart. He could also speak of the great victory that sin... That sinful man could not take away. That all the powers of hell could not take away. And that victory that Jesus won can be your victory if you'll receive him as your Savior and Lord. Let's stand together, please.